Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, October 16th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the National Forestry Service is awarding more than $16 million to Mississippi to help protect the environment and plant trees. Then, the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus has announced it's filing a bill called the Right to Contraception Act. Plus... The importance of mammograms. This is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The National Forestry Service is awarding $16.8 million to Mississippi. It will be used to plant trees, protect against climate change, and alleviate extreme heat in disadvantaged communities. The bulk of that funding is directed towards Jackson State University to build up the campus's tree coverage and reduce storm runoff. Shannon Collardi is the National Forest Supervisor in Mississippi. She says protecting forests, big or small, can have long-lasting benefits for the state. In Mississippi, we have six proclaimed national forests that cover 1.2 million acres across almost the entire state. We cover um, almost every region. We actively manage each of those forests for the public benefit. Not only do we do prescribed fire, active timber sales, but we manage it for public benefit, including clean air, clean water, recreational activities that include hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and picnicking. I hope all of you find the opportunity to come out to a national forest sometime soon. And I know I speak for my team though, broadening out from national forests and getting into urban and community forestry. We're very excited about the expansion of this program. It takes all of us working together to properly manage the nation's forests provide for the public's benefit for America's resource. This program is near and dear to us as it supports the communities that we live, work in, and frequent. As Dr. Anthony said, more than 18 million is being invested in Mississippi. This is huge and it's going to greatly benefit our communities. Investing in urban and forestry communities is investing in people. That's because trees and nature, they improve our mental health and make us feel better. They increase our property values and they provide other benefits as we've heard. We we all know about the heat in Mississippi. It helps cool us off and it makes it more pleasant to be here because it's hot. I'm so grateful for this tree, Dr. Wilkes. (laughs) More specifically though, this funding is targeting people of disadvantaged communities where access to trees, 
green spaces and the benefits they provide have historically been and continue to be limited. I'm inspired to see such an investment in Mississippi and I'm grateful to be part of it. And I'm even more grateful for the dedication of our partners have shown and continue to demonstrate as we accomplish this very important work together. The funding is part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Investing in America's Urban and Community Forest Program. Homer Wilkes is the Undersecretary for the National Resource and Environment at the National Forest Service. He tells our Wilkes dribbling this grant was made possible because of the bipartisan infrastructure bill signed by President Biden in 2021. There was an opportunity to put money into communities that haven't had it. You know, there's a lot of money that's floating around, but it was intentionally to work with communities uh, like the city of Jackson and particularly working with Jackson State University as the catalyst to make sure this happened. Everything is centered around the university, so this was a great place where we could actually start and making sure they are the lighthouse, the guiding force of these communities. You heard Dr. Anthony, the president of Jackson State University, talk about how inclusive this process is going to be. So that's what I think it means. It means that there's going to be tree canopy that's going to actually help with uh, health, that's going to help with climate change, it's going to help with actually water quality concerns and things of that nature. So I think it's that's why it's so important for the university to, to serve as the lead role in this particular piece. Even though there are dollars that come into other partners out here, Jackson State is going to be that glue, that connectivity because of the public health as well as the tree canopy. And we know what trees can do. You know, they give off oxygen, so people need oxygen to breathe. So that's why it's so important to community this nature. Our communities have diabetes. They have uh, asthma problems and you think about that and the trees giving out an ample supply of oxygen it will help with the asthma situation diabetes mental and physical health you heard the guy from the Mississippi Forest Commission talk about the squirrels as planned you can go out there and you're not focused on things that maybe happen in the city that's traumatic and walk take a walk in the woods and actually just have be peace with those things I think that's important so that's what I think this community will afford to do uh, this is going to have a really outsized impact in, in Jackson, an area that's really been underinvested in by the state for uh, over the course of decades. So, uh, what do you think about that? Where uh, that element of it, where the, this, you know, these funds are being directed at areas that, that really need it. Well, the, the bottom line is, as I said early on, uh, things have to be intentional. Uh, and I would say the Biden-Harris administration has intentionally put money in underserved community, and we're going directly to the recipient. We're not going through the state. We're going directly to Jackson State and the communities at large so they can decide what's best in their community. They can decide what's the best time. And you also heard the uh, president of Jackson State talk about the inclusiveness of having the communities involved. I mean, the right place, right time, and the people that's involved in order to make that happen. Jackson State University is using the $10 million in grant funding as part of their Gateways to a Greener Jackson program. It's an HBCU-led initiative to complete urban forestry projects. The university's acting president, Elaine Hayes-Anthony, says the funding won't be limited to only Jackson. We're so pleased that we are the recipients of such a large grant, $18 million going to the state of Mississippi and $10 million right here at Jackson State University. As Dr. Wilkes mentioned, what we will be doing is we will be driving the bus. We will take a leadership role in terms of how we get those funds to those underrepresented communities. We will also be doing job training. We'll be doing uh, research here at the university. We'll be looking at climate change and how that affects the community. So we're standing right here under trees now, 
and they're kind of cooling us off. But as soon as you move away, tree canopy is very, very important. So uh, we want to thank uh, everyone, you know, even in terms of nutrition. You have fruit trees, so we can actually glean fruit from those trees to eat. So there are so many phases of this. We will be looking at putting some dollars into Vicksburg, into Rolling Fork, into Greenville, and of course into right here into the city of Jackson. There are some underrepresented and unders underserved uh, roles in, t in terms of people here, right here in our own city. So we want to do that. We also want to look at jobs and job training, a workforce development and how that is going to assist. So, you know, there are so many things and don't forget health care. There are several health care disparities that underserved rep uh, uh, communities have to deal with. But with the correct amount of tree canopy, we can help with that. And that's areas like some of us have asthma problems. And with trees, that can really help that situation. So climate change is very, very important. So why do you think Jackson State was chosen to, to, to drive the bus? Why was it chosen to be because, the Well, because of the leadership and because of what we have to offer here. Because of the research, we're a research to uh, school, university. We're going for it to be, hopefully one day, to be a research one. And because we're looking for jobs, there is a brain drain in the state of Mississippi. We want to keep young people here. So we want to do that. It's our track record. We actually go out, we write grants, we get them funded, and we use it. So we were a natural to receive this. And I'm just so glad that people at USDA saw Jackson State and saw what we can do. And they saw fit to give us that grant and to ask us to lead that grant. And I'm very, very pleased to, to be in this role and to have a hand in doing that. Coming up, the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus has announced plans to file a bill that protects contraception rights. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer, too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. A caucus of black lawmakers in the state legislature are announcing plans to file a bill called Mississippi Right to Contraception Act during the 2024 legislative session. The Legislative Black Caucus made the announcement Friday on the steps of the Capitol. They say all Mississippians should have access to birth control, including condoms, IUDs, patches, and emergency contraception. Representative Chris Bell, a Democrat from Jackson, chairs the Mississippi Black Legislative Caucus. In his concurring opinion in the Dobbs case, Justice Thomas voiced support for overturning the constitutional right to contraceptives, a right established in the Griswold v. Connecticut in 1965. The Connecticut statute forbidding the use of contraceptives was found to violate the right of, of marital privacy and the guarantees the Bill of Rights, which specifically Thomas wrote that because of a legal basis for Roe v. Wade, 
is also the basis for other rights, including the right to contraceptive. The Griswold decision recognizing that right should therefore be reconsidered. In July of 2022, the Right to Contraceptive Act was introduced on the floor of the House of Representatives, and 195 members voted against that right. That included Trent Kelly, Michael Guess, and Steve Palazzo. The bill protected our right to condoms, IUDs, the pill, patches, and emergency contraceptives. We're here today to understand, to make individuals understand that Mississippi and the individuals in the state of Mississippi understand their rights and will not be dictated by the state and other right-wing Republicans trying to make our, our rights null and void. The bill will be introduced by House Democrat Sakia Summers of Jackson. And leading up to next year's session, a series of ads will run to promote the legislation. Summers says Mississippians lost many of their reproductive health freedoms following the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. She says this proposed law will help protect the ones that remain. I am very concerned about families in the state of Mississippi, particularly women and children. Women are the backbone to our communities because when women thrive, everyone thrives. I think former First Lady Michelle Obama said it best. The difference between a broken community and a thriving one is the presence of women who are valued. Yet there has been intentional effort to ignore the needs of women and roll back our access to the services, resources, and to devalue women for the things we need in order to live healthy lives. That's why it is my honor to sponsor legislation that will protect Mississippians' right to use contraception. It's very simple. All women have the right to have children, the right to not have children, and the right to nurture the children we have in a safe and healthy environment. As a mother, I know firsthand that deciding when and how to parent aren't easy decisions. Contraception allows the freedom to exercise choice in planning and spacing out pregnancies, which not only cultivates family stability, but also ensures that parents can provide their children with the necessary care they need. In addition, contraception plays a critical role in fostering economic stability for families, enabling them to pursue educational opportunities, enter the workforce, and strive for a career advancement. Summers continues saying most sexually active women have used some form of contraception. In recent years, several hospitals in the state have been forced to reduce their services, often affecting access to reproductive health care. In the Delta, the region's only neonatal intensive care unit closed last year. A few months later, another hospital in that area closed its labor and delivery unit. Summers says this is eroding reproductive health care access for all Mississippi women. Birth control is essential to helping women and their families control their lives and their livelihoods. The conservative agenda has made Mississippi one of the hardest states to access con- contraception and has produced restricted health care choices for women, limited access to health care providers, closed neonatal intensive care units, and far too few pediatricians for Mississippi's children. 
Mississippi is only one of six states where it is legal for pharmacists to refuse to fill contraceptions for both for birth control. How do we expect Mississippians to trust elected officials with a decision as monumental as childbirth when the state has allowed the closure of hospitals and the elimination of jobs that come along with it all across the state of Mississippi? Labor and delivery units from Hancock to LaFleur counties are closing. One in six women of childbearing age is uninsured. And according to a report by March of Dimes, more than half the counties in Mississippi are considered maternity health deserts. We must refuse this game of playing politics with women and pass legislation that protects our right to contraception. We look forward to getting this done in 2024. Mississippi has one of the highest rates of unplanned pregnancies in the nation. Coming up, how to identify signs of breast cancer early. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The radio reading service of Mississippi provides print-impaired Mississippians with news, information, and entertainment. To learn more or to see if you qualify, call 601-432-6301. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. More than 2,000 women in Mississippi could be diagnosed with breast cancer this year, according to the State Department of Health. The state has the lowest breast cancer screening rates in the nation for older women. It's estimated that 410 women die each year from breast cancer in Mississippi. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Doctors are reminding folks to do frequent checks to identify early warning signs of the disease. Our Lacey Alexander speaks with Adrian Russell, a nurse and breast health navigator at Baptist Medical Center in Jackson. She says breast cancer can be scary, but encourages every woman to get screened. A lot of times we know that we're in the doctor's office and we're told something And we go home and we think, what did she just say? Or what did he just say? Well, with breast cancer in particular, there is a lot to it. There's different types of cancer. There's different types of treatment. And so it's very easy to get confused, especially when you're overwhelmed with just the thought of being diagnosed. So, I love to be able to educate the patient and really review what their physicians have told them. And then if they do start treatment or if they have surgery, I like to call afterwards. Um, It's a familiar person and they don't feel like they are lost. And so I hear a lot of patients, if I'm calling them after a treatment, they'll say, I'm doing okay, but I'm so glad somebody checked in on me. It's just that um, comfort and the reassurance that their oncology team is here for them. I liked what you had to say about how you prioritize educating the patient. If I, as a patient, were to come to you and I was about to have my very first consultation with you, what would be some of the things you would prioritize educating me on? Pathology is a big deal if women are diagnosed because breast cancer is not just 
breast cancer. There's different types. There's different characteristics on the pathology report. That is also what helps guide treatment. Some women, sometimes there might be misconceptions or misunderstanding. Um, like I said, they're over, they're overwhelmed already. And so sometimes understanding the pathology and then the treatment that might come along with the type of cancer that they have is really important. At the end of the day, you want that patient to feel comfortable with what's going on, to feel secure in their team, and to trust what's happening. And so I really like to educate to help patients understand and and feel comfortable and confident in what they're doing. And and when these patients come in and they ask, you know, what are their next steps if they get diagnosed, if they get that test on that spot and, and it is a problematic and they're worried about that, I'm sure they're very anxious about it. What information do you relay to them at that time? What do you tell a patient to do after their diagnoses? Usually they will see either a surgeon or a medical oncologist or sometimes both. And so... That surgeon or medical oncologist will review their pathology. They'll lay out a treatment plan. Sometimes they're not sure exactly their next step yet. There might be more testing that we need to do. And so I like to uh, review that and make sure, again, that they're aware and understand what's going on um, and really give them reassurance that our oncology team is going to walk with them through the process. Um, A lot of women and men out there um, hesitate to call their physician's office with questions or concerns or if they're wondering something. I always tell people, don't sit at home and wonder. Call me, call your doctor's office. So a lot of times that encouragement and just making sure that They're trusting of what's happening, and they're knowledgeable about it. And tell us what are some common misconceptions about breast cancer that you'd like to debunk while I've got you on the phone? Well, a lot of people have fear in coming for their mammogram. We hear women say, well, I've never had a problem in the past. Of course, cancer can come up at any time in a person's life. A lot of women think that the mammogram is going to be very painful because they've been told that. It is a quick exam. For some women, it is more painful than others. But most of our mammography techs are very skilled and very professional and try their best to make it pain-free or as little as pain as possible. And so it's really, it is not a long exam. And so even if it is somewhat painful, um, I really want to encourage patients that it's not a long, you know, painful process. They try to make it as best and as efficient and as pain-free as possible. Um, A lot of women think that I've had one lump before and it was a cyst. From there on, they feel like, any other nodule or anything that they feel is also a cyst, and that's not the case. So just because you had something checked out once, it doesn't mean that anything in the future 
is benign and okay. They still need to get that looked at. Another thing I hear is women will say, well, I I don't have any family history of breast cancer. We know that, yes, family history is a risk factor for breast cancer, but there are women diagnosed that, that don't have any family history. That does not exclude somebody from being diagnosed. And so just because it doesn't run in your family doesn't mean that you don't need to do the screening and the prevention that you should. Adrian Russell is a nurse and breast health navigator at Baptist Medical Center in Jackson. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.